The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it's another week where the dollar remained relatively firmly bid. The dollar index closing just above 98. Gold prices seem to have a lid on them. We closed down today, was it down about seven bucks, just above twelve fifty. Gold's not really going down, but it's not really going up either. What are going up are bond yields, long-term bond yields rising to maybe about a four-month high, I think. Uh, 30-year yield at 2.55, that's the Treasury. The 10-year just below uh, 1.8, 1.794. And this despite the fact that the economic news during the week on balance was generally weaker than expected. I mean, you get some numbers that came out better, uh, but then you get the numbers that came out worse. But obviously, on balance, the numbers are worse because the Atlanta Fed reduced again their estimate for third quarter GDP down to 1.9. This is the first time it's been below two. This is now half of what it was just over a month ago when they were at 3.8 for the the uh, the third quarter. Now they're at 1.9, and I still think they're too high, but they're getting closer. But I do think that Q3 is going to be a stronger quarter than Q4, which will probably be another 1% or below quarter. You know, the last three quarters average 1%. This is the weakest three consecutive quarters of this entire so-called recovery. Yet now is when the Fed is supposedly going to be raising rates. And in fact, we got that JOLTS report on Wednesday, and this is supposedly Janet Yellen's favorite indicator of the labor market. And not only did we have a, uh, a slight downward revision to the prior month, but we had a 7.3% collapse in August. That was the biggest drop since December of last year. Uh, everything about that report was weak. Uh, and so if this is Janet Yellen's favorite number, and if the Fed didn't raise rates in September because they wanted more data on the job market, and now they just got the jolts number, which was much worse than expected, why is every Fed governor who is interviewed talking about Rate hikes. That's all they're talking about. Oh, yep, yep. Another one was out today on CNBC talking about how rate hikes would be appropriate. Yes, they would be appropriate. It would have been appropriate to raise them a long time ago. It would have been appropriate in June, in, in September, in March, you know, January, last year, two years ago, three years ago. It would have been appropriate a long time ago to raise rates. They didn't do it. You know what was inappropriate? Cutting them to zero. That wasn't appropriate. They did it anyway. The Fed is not about doing what's appropriate. It's about doing what's expedient. And part of what's expedient is to continue to pretend that they're going to raise rates because they have to pretend they can actually do it. Because I've said over and over again, the consequences of admitting that they can't raise rates are horrific. But the consequences of raising rates are also horrific. So that's the line they walk. They keep pretending they're going to raise rates, but then they don't do it. But the market seems to ignore all this data that comes out. Look, we got a consumer confidence number today that was extremely weak. I think, what, was it a one or two year low? It was a big drop. Of course, they're blaming a lot of this on on the election, right? In fact, I'm reading now retailers that are coming out with bad sales. They have a new excuse. It's not the weather anymore. It's the election. Apparently, Americans are so captivated by this election that They're staying at home to watch 
television to find out, you know, which woman Donald Trump groped 30 years ago. So they're so interested in this election that they don't have any time to shop. I mean, this might be the best excuse yet, but that's the excuse uh, that, that, that they're using. You know, I think, though, one of the reasons that we could have seen a big drop in consumer confidence uh, is because it is looking less likely that Trump will win. Because if you think about it, why would there have been an uptick in confidence? Well, maybe there were a number of people who actually thought Trump might win, and that might have given them hope that things might actually change, right? Because if things have been really going bad for you, and you have Donald Trump saying, I'm going to make America great again, and if you actually think, hey, maybe this will work, you know, maybe he's different than all these politicians that have come before him, maybe having Trump as president Maybe things could get better. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that they would, but I can see somebody who's been stuck in an economic rut for years having some hope that maybe something will be different if Donald Trump is elected. But now, when you have a lot of people who are now thinking, well, Trump blew it, right? He's not going to win. It makes sense that people would be less confident because if you now believe it's going to be Hillary, well, now you have nothing to hope for, right? Because nothing is going to change under Hillary Clinton. I mean, if anything, it's just going to get worse, but nothing's going to get better. She's not going to do anything differently than Obama, who didn't really do much differently than Bush as far as, you know, theory. I mean, government got bigger under under both. The deficits got bigger, you know, which brings me to a crazy article talking about the, the, the spin and, you know, all these uh, leaks that we keep getting from WikiLeaks. I mean, part of the, what it uncovered is the degree to which Hillary Clinton and her campaign team is working hand in glove with the press. Right. They actually use the press. They coordinate stories. They go back and forth. They OK. Hey, do you want us to use this quote or that quote? Right. They are obviously not an unbiased outlet. You know, it's kind of like when I was on The Daily Show and I was the guy that was saying, you know, I'm against the minimum wage. And they they took my four hours and, and tried to make me look like a horrible human being uh, by slicing and dicing and taking stuff out of context. But the other guy who was on, who was supposedly uh, who was pro minimum wage, you know, they gave him the questions in advance. They let him do two and three takes. They let him look at his answers. Do you like that answer? Do you want to you want to record it again? Right. I mean, the whole thing was staged to make me look bad and him look good. It seems like that's how. The media is covering the election. The idea is to portray Donald Trump in the worst possible light and to portray Hillary Clinton in the best possible light. You know, that's why every day, you know, there's another woman now coming out with one of these ridiculous allegations of, you know, being groped because they have to deflect the attention from all these leaks coming of emails uh, that expose Hillary Clinton for what she is. They don't want to talk about any of that. Because that's not salacious. They want, to, they want to have a pretty girl up there talking about what happened with her panties and Donald Trump. But the media is doing this deliberately. And these emails show that. But I wanted to talk first about this article that I read. I think it was Rachel Maddow or MSNBC. Yeah, Rachel Maddow, uh, very, very uh, left wing, writes this article about how Obama is a miracle worker because she shrunk the deficit by a trillion. Here's the headline. It says deficit shrinks by one trillion in Obama era. Obama's record on deficit reduction is practically a miracle. But it's one of them. But it's one that Americans have never heard about. Yeah, they've never heard about it because it doesn't exist. 
right? What's miraculous is they can make lemonade out of these lemons. I mean, the deficit, the national debt has doubled under Obama, right? There has never been an increase this large. The debt basically increased as much during the eight years of Obama as the previous 200 plus years of the country, right? All the presidents combined from George Washington to George W. Bush, you take all that debt and add it together, that's how much debt Obama added. And somehow he's a miraculous uh, deficit reducer. Now, how do they come to this crazy thing? Well, they put a graph up there and they show the budget deficit for 2009. And they said, okay, this is the last fiscal budget deficit for uh, George Bush, which it was. But, of course, that was the year that dealt with all of the the ramifications of the 2008 financial crisis, this massive stimulus. It was an emergency. The crisis just began and the deficit you know, blew out of proportion in 2009. But if you look at 2008, the year before that, the budget deficit was barely above 400 billion. That is a more uh, rational a basis to start a comparison rather than taking the financial crisis uh, budget, which was way out of whack. But they start from there and then they show the deficit for fiscal 2015 at about 400 billion. And they say, well, it was 1.4 trillion in 2009 and he's brought it all the way down to uh, 400 billion in, in 2015. So he's reduced it by a trillion, which is so ridiculous. I mean, first of all, where is fiscal 2016? I mean, the the projections for fiscal 2016 right now are for a $600 billion deficit. Why not use that? I mean, that, you know, we have those projections. That's $600 billion because that would be 50% greater than what the deficit was in 2008 when it was $400 billion. But forget about the annual budget deficits because that's nothing. That's not the real story. That's just the on budget. In fiscal 2016, the national debt is scheduled to grow by $1.4 trillion. So in reality, we are adding $1.4 trillion of debt to the economy. We're just admitting to only $600 billion of it. So $1.4 trillion, that's basically what we claim it was in 2009. Although I bet in 2009, the national debt grew by a lot more than $1.4 trillion. But in 2008, I think the national debt also grew by about $1 trillion, even though we only reported $400 billion. But if you want to look at it honestly, the amount of deficit spending under Obama was huge because 2010, that year, was not a crisis year. We had a budget deficit of over $1.2 trillion. 2011, we still had a budget deficit of over $1.2 trillion. This is the deficit, not how much the national debt grew, which was more, but the official deficit. And in 2012, the deficit was over a uh, trillion dollars. So you have Obama with three consecutive years of trillion dollar deficits, and somehow he's a deficit reducing miracle worker. I mean, this is how the media is going to take a president who has added more debt than any other president, who is completely reckless about adding to the debt, and somehow saying he he pulled off a miracle in debt reduction. The debt to GDP has never been this high. You know, the GDP has barely increased under Obama. That's the miracle, disappearing GDP. You know, the other miracle of Obama is disappearing full-time jobs. That's where he performed a miracle, right? He made all those good jobs disappear, 
and he replaced them with these part-time jobs. But look, the media is constantly going to try to redefine a failed presidency as a success. And one of the reasons they want to do that right now is they want that success to rub off on Hillary Clinton. They want to put up all this positive stuff about the economy because Hillary Clinton wants to run on that. Although, you know, they don't even talk about the economy anymore, right? Because why should they? You know, if this election was about the economy, Trump would win. So I guess the only chance they had was to make it about something else. Just remember, it was Bill Clinton. He's the guy that said, it's the economy stupid. When he ran, it was the economy stupid. Well, it's more the economy stupid now. It should be. It should be. It's the economy, you idiot. But Hillary doesn't want it to be about the economy because this fiction that uh, the media is peddling isn't selling. The, The voters aren't buying it, right? They know that this is a lousy economy. But if they can make the election about you know, who is more morally rehensible? I mean, who's done worse things to women, uh, Donald Trump or Bill Clinton, right? And Bill Clinton is still one step away from Hillary. Although what Hillary did to women, uh, you could argue is just as bad because, you know, instead of, you know, believing them, she attacked them, vilified them. She did, did everything that the left says you're not supposed to do, right? The, the accuser is right and the accused is guilty simply by virtue of being accused. But no, 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 when they jumped all over um, the accusers. Although now, when you have all these people coming out accusing um, Donald Trump, all of a sudden, yes, they must be telling the truth. Uh, even though they're talking about things that happened you know, 20, 25, 30, 35 years ago, and they've said nothing about it, and they've waited till a few weeks before the election when this is the topic, and all of a sudden, yes, uh, you know, this is what happened. And, oh, you know, no, disbelieve it. Right. Nobody has an ulterior motive. This is not political. This is not coordinated. Yep. We're just going to believe every one of these accusers. Oh, but we're not going to believe any of the Bill Clinton accusers. Right. We're going to forget about these people who are actually accusing Bill Clinton of actual rape versus, you know, somebody put his hand up my dress and I thought I turned around and I thought it was probably uh, Donald Trump. I mean, some of these stories are just ridiculous. Like this one woman who claims 20, 25 years ago she was in a bar uh, and Donald Trump happened to be there, although she didn't know for sure, uh, but she felt somebody put his hand up her her skirt. And when she turned around, she saw a guy that had uh, orangey hair. And so she figured it was Donald Trump and uh, she didn't even talk to him. uh, But, you know, she figured that that was Trump and and, and it must have been his hand up her skirt. I mean, first of all, if she's an aspiring actress model and she happens to be lucky enough to be in a uh, a bar standing next to Donald Trump, you don't think she's going to talk to him? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's got to be good for her career, right? To to try to make friends with Donald Trump. I mean, make some connections, network. I mean, you're there, and, and just even meeting. I mean, she's in a bar. I mean, this is where girls are to meet guys. I mean, you got Donald Trump. Hey, I mean, he's a great guy to meet if you happen to be out in a bar in New York. What also sounds crazy is that Donald Trump could be in a bar in New York and nobody know that he's there. Like the only way that you know it's him is because, it, you know, it looked like him because he had, you know, he had, I could tell by the hair. I mean, if Donald Trump is in a bar in New York, you don't you think people are going to be talking? Hey, look, it's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is here. He's not going to be there in secret, you know. And also, I think, did she say he was alone? Yeah, what's the odds of that? He was just, he had nothing to do. And so he went up, he went out by himself into a bar and he just decided to shove his hand up girl skirts. I mean, come on. And of course, you know, he wasn't even a celebrity back then. I mean, he was wealthy. 
But you know, he didn't he didn't achieve real celebrity status until he did The Apprentice, right? Because a lot of people, even though he had his name on some buildings, a lot of people outside of New York still didn't know who Donald Trump was until he became a regular on network television. That's our culture. I mean, the average American doesn't know anything unless it's on TV, right? I mean, you see some of these uh, YouTube videos. They ask ba- basic questions. You know, uh, you know who you know who was the first American president. Uh, you know who 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 did we beat in the Revolutionary War? They don't know any of these questions. And you say, well, you know who's Snooky's boyfriend? And that you know that they they can answer. So a lot of people didn't know who Donald Trump was until he he was on The Apprentice, which like like this other woman that says, yes, I was on an airplane with Donald Trump 38 years ago, and I sat next to him, and he just was all over me like an octopus, and you know he put his hand up my dress. I mean, he this is in what the early 90s again. I mean, if he said that, well, when you're a celebrity, you can get away with this stuff. He was not a celebrity back then, although. You know, if somebody is really doing that to you on an airplane, I mean, wouldn't you complain to the flight attendant or say something or, you know, you just you just keep it bottled up for 38 years. And, you know, in fact, one of the one of these women now, you know, when she came forward, the one that's got Gloria Allred representing her was somebody who was a contestant, I think, on uh, The Apprentice. And she got fired. But now, of course, she's claiming some kind of sexual harassment. Donald Trump just came over to me and just started kissing me. You know, the reason they're all coming up with this, because that's what he said, right? As a joke. Hey, when I see women, I just start kissing them. Give me a tic tac. When he saw that woman, when he came out of the bus, did he kiss that woman? No, he was a perfect gentleman, right? He didn't He didn't start kissing her. But now because he was joking about, oh, I just like to start kissing women, now all of a sudden women are coming out. Oh, yeah, 35 years ago, Donald Trump just started kissing me, and he chased me all around. He kept kissing and kissing. He wouldn't stop. He was like the kissing bandit, right? I mean, all this stuff. And then they rush to put it on television, and they want to they wanna write a story about it. One of the things that's really even bothering me more, I see these women on television talking about how horrible it was that Donald Trump and Billy Bush were talking about this woman's legs, right? When they when they pull up in this RV, the actress that's going to be in the role. And, you know, by the way, you know, when I did my, my last podcast at the time, for some reason, I don't know why I thought that the woman uh, who he had moved on years ago and the actress that he was doing this scene with, I thought they were the same woman. I didn't even realize they were talking about two separate women. And as soon as I, I, I noticed that, in fact, I noticed it because somebody corrected me on the YouTube video. So I quickly put up a, uh, a little banner to correct it. But I didn't think it really took away from my point. I mean, maybe it would have been even more valid if it was the same person. But the fact that he was there uh, to film a scene where there's a beautiful young woman throwing herself at Donald Trump sexually, obviously, the conversation they're going to have when they're driving up to meet the woman and film the scene is going to gear to that subject matter. So it just kind of, it still makes it more likely that they would be having that conversation. But what I want to talk about now is that these women on television are saying how horrible it was that Donald Trump and Billy Bush were talking about this woman, you know, like she was a piece of meat because they were talking about her legs. Oh, great legs. Look at those legs. Right. And they're all upset. Go look at, the video and look at that look at that dress i mean that dress is about as short as a dress is going to be without without turning it into a belt i mean i mean she wasn't covering up much uh so that that dress was all about flaunting your legs right and so any woman that wears a dress that short wants guys to notice her legs if if she didn't then she wouldn't have a dress like that right so you can't flaunt it and then be upset 
if guys notice what you're flaunting. Right? And these guys are in private. They're two guys talking to each other. They don't think anyone is listening. And they see a woman with a very short dress and a very nice pair of legs. I mean, she's got nice legs. There's no denying that. Look at her legs. They're really nice. And she was really flashing them out there. How can they not notice the legs? I mean, that's the whole point of that dress. If she didn't want her legs to be noticed, she could have worn uh, you know, some cargo pants. And then nobody would have said anything. But the whole idea is I've got this gorgeous pair of legs and I want guys to notice them and then they notice them and somehow they're bad guys, right? Oh, this, this is horrible. They should completely ignore those legs and pretend that that dress isn't even, isn't even there. Oh no, they can't do that. That'd be even worse if they start to imagine her uh, without a dress. But the point is all this stuff, irrelevant stuff, the media is all over it. Meanwhile, you've got all this stuff, this deluge of data, this data dump of WikiLeaks, of emails and all kinds of Real bad, actual stuff relevant to to the election, and oh no, no one wants to cover it. But you know, one of the one of the uh, consequences of this, I think, is going to be: Do you think another self-made uh, businessman, never been in politics, you think they're going to think about running for election again after this? Right after this grilling, I mean, this is part of it because the professional politicians, the career politicians, want to send a message. To anybody who actually cares about the country, don't try uh, to get into politics because this is what's going to happen to you, right? This, you know, because how else can you make it to, I mean, Donald Trump is what? He's, you know, close to 70, whatever, however old he is. You're not going to live your entire life as a private citizen and not do something that's going to be embarrassing, and not, you know, especially with everybody now, today, everybody's got a cell phone, everybody can take movies. So unless you know you're in politics from a young age and you're constantly on your best behavior because you know it's all superficial, right? And I, I can't let anybody know what a depraved guy I am. And so I have to make sure that I hide all of my, you know, sexual deviancy or whatever, whatever the conduct is I don't want anyone to know about. I'm going to really take all kinds of precautions to make sure nobody knows, you know, what's going on, right, in my in my private life so I can be a complete hypocrite and nobody will know it, right? Unless you're in politics from a young age and you're constantly trying to shape this public persona and you're, you're, you're hiding everything, if you're just living a normal life because you're not a politician so you're not worried about how everything might look if somebody happens to get a photograph of it when you're not looking, you know, how are you going to enter politics, Because Donald Trump wasn't a senator. He wasn't a congressman. He's a businessman. He's trying to bring his business experience to the White House. And now, of course, his whole life is now up for scrutiny. Look, I mean, look at me. Look at all the stuff that I've said just about controversial issues that I've said that people say, well, you you can't run for office now that you said that, because if you ever run for office, look at all this stuff I've said on YouTube. Look at all my controversial positions you know, oh, you can never run for office now. So, look, I'm supposed to live my entire life without saying anything controversial. I can't say anything that might piss anybody off on the idea that maybe in the future I might run for something. And so I better, you know, live my whole life, you know, because that might happen. Right. I mean, Donald Trump, when he was saying whatever he said in that RV, for whatever reason, he wasn't thinking about, gee, what if what if somebody actually recorded this? Because he probably didn't even care. Until he decided to run for president. I mean, if he didn't run for president, nobody would care, right, that this that this that this stuff was said. But now it's like, okay, you see what happened? You got trumped. That might be like a whole expression. 
you know, somebody, you know, getting trumped. This is what happens to you if you're a business guy and you try to run for office, they're going to trump you, which means they're going to dig up all kinds of irrelevant stuff to embarrass you and to try to, uh, you know, change the focus of attention from where it really should be, right, which is on the economy and, you know, national defense or, you know, terrorism, whatever you want to make it on. You know, because I think when Trump is able to talk about the issues, he can win because things are horrible. There's no way you can defend the last eight years. I mean, other than to the one percent. Yes, Hillary Clinton can get the votes of the super rich. There are some super rich people that, thanks to cheap money, have gotten even richer uh, during the Obama era. But, you know, there's not that many people there. There's not that many votes there. Right. That's not where the money is, as Willie Sutton used to say about robbing banks. The votes are not in the one percent of the one percent. And as much as Hillary Clinton tries to pretend she's for the 99 percent, she's not. It's it's actually Trump that's more in favor of the 99 percent. Not that I agree with everything that he says. I don't. There's a lot of stuff that he says that I disagree with. It's just that everything that Hillary Clinton says I disagree with, except some of the stuff she says in private. See, that Hillary Clinton I like better. Right. Because she you know, when she's talking behind the you know, behind the scenes, when she doesn't think any voters are listening, that stuff is not as bad as the stuff she says publicly. So it's like. That that part, I mean, that actually makes it a little better in that maybe she's not as bad as she seems because she doesn't actually believe all the stuff she's saying to get people to vote for her. But I think based on her track record and based on the constituency that she wants to appease, I think that Hillary Clinton would deliberately enact laws that she knew would be bad just because they would be politically popular and because they would help her get reelected or help her friends get elected. So it doesn't even matter if she knows right from wrong. She's not going to do right if doing wrong is what serves her political interest or what lines her own pocket, because that is what she has a history of doing. But these are not the issues that, you know, the media chooses uh, to put out there because they're, you know, obviously they're going to get more, more of an audience if they talk about, uh, you know, sex or women's body parts or that, you know, unfortunately, this is uh, this is what appeals to the average viewer, which is also why this is so ironic. Right. Because they want to criticize Trump for, you know, his, uh, you know, attitudes about sex or about women. But it's the media that wants to exploit uh, attitudes about sex and attitudes about women to get ratings, although maybe they're real agenda is to make sure that that Trump doesn't win and higher ratings is just a bonus, right? That's just the icing on the cake. Well, meanwhile, let me just uh, get back to what's going on in the markets, because, you know, the stock market had some pretty rough days this week, although it didn't really get clobbered. But technically, to me, it looks like it's getting ready for a big drop unless the Fed comes clean and admits that rates aren't going up. But based on the posturing that's been going on, and based on the backup in yields in the bond market, this has got to be very dangerous territory for the stock market. Also, in economic news today, we got a bigger than expected increase in September producer prices. And I expect the good news there to keep getting better, which is actually the bad news. You know, this whole inflation uh, is good. This week, the Swedish krone got got clobbered because they reported inflation numbers that were lower than expected. I think the annualized inflation rate was something like 0.8, and they thought it was going to be up 1.2. And the currency got clobbered by about two and a half percent 
because the markets thought, oh, no, you know, inflation is too low. So the central bank is going to have to ease monetary policy to create additional inflation because we're way below their 2% target. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. It's if a currency doesn't lose value, that's bad. But if it loses value, that's good and we want to buy it. But if it's maintaining its value, oh, no, that's bad. We want to sell it. But the perverse logic is that, well, if there's not enough inflation, then the central bank will debase the currency in order to create the inflation. And that's why people sell the currency. But if inflation is higher, then central banks will try to fight the inflation by raising rates. And therefore, people want to buy the currency because they're going to have higher rates. So it's always a bet on the direction of interest rates. If you think interest rates are going to go down, you sell the currency. If you think rates are going to go up, you buy the currency. And so people think that low inflation means lower rates and, and the high inflation means higher rates, but they're not actually thinking through the real consequences because prior to this insane era that we're living in, I remember that when a country would report lower than expected inflation, that was good news. People would want to buy that currency. Yes, it's not losing value. I want to own that currency. It's a store of value. Let me buy it. It was when they would surprise with higher than expected inflation that people would want to sell the currency. Oh, it's losing value. Let me get out before it loses more value. That's what makes sense. But this world, it's all upside down. But where it's going to get right side up again, the only reason that people think higher inflation is good is because they believe the central banks will be forced to fight the inflation. But when all these currency traders realize that when inflation goes up, the central banks, particularly the Fed, is not going to fight it. It's just going to let it get higher and higher and higher. Then higher inflation will go from being good news for a currency to being horrific news for a currency. In fact, just look at Janet Yellen. I was reading an article today, a Bloomberg article. Janet Yellen was talking about the possibility that maybe we can let the economy heat up a little more than normal and it might be OK this time, which, you know, whenever I hear this, you know, the economy cool down, heat up. I mean, I hate this Keynesian, you know, metaphor where they constantly want to compare a, a the economy to a car. Right. It's like some kind of car. And then the Fed can step on the gas or step on the brakes to kind of regulate the speed of the car, which is ridiculous. I mean, the economy is not a car and the Fed can't operate it and it's impossible for it to overheat. Right. Overheating means, oh, the economy is so strong that it's creating all this inflation. And so to prevent it from overheating, we better step on the brake. Strong economies don't create inflation. It's actually the reverse. Right. If you want to call inflation rising prices, strong economies result in falling prices. Why is that? Because when an economy is actually strong, it's producing more. You're producing more stuff. And by increasing the amount of stuff, you have more supply, and the greater supply reduces the price. So a real vibrant economy that's growing with lots of factories and lots of production, prices come down. See, the Keynesians only look at demand. They think the economy lives or dies by demand. They forget supply. You can't consume what's not produced. But if you're just fixated on demand and you think, well, if the economy is strong, that means a lot of demand for things, and that pushes up the price. But a strong economy isn't measured by demand. It's measured by supply. Strong economies increase supply because demand is always there. People want things. They always want things, right? Government doesn't have to stimulate demand. Demand is stimulated naturally. Everybody wants things. If you have any kids, right, how many things do your kids want? Your kids want anything, everything. Do you have, do you have to stimulate your kids to wanting things? 
right? They want everything. Doesn't matter how much they have, they want more, right? In fact, if there's a new toy, that's all they care about. Doesn't matter how many toys they have, they want the new one that they don't have, right? I mean, so people naturally are born with a desire to want more. They want more, they want more. The limiting factor is production, the ability to supply what everybody wants. So you can't focus on the demand side when you wanna talk about whether the economy is strong or whether the economy is weak. It's production, it's supply. If you have a strong economy, more stuff is being created. More investment leads to more production, higher living standards. So a weak economy isn't productive, right? You're not building as much stuff. You're not making as, as much stuff. So they've got it backwards, but they think, okay, you know, it's in a car, we, we don't have to tap the brake. We can let the economy heat up a little bit more. We can let this baby run hot because it's going to be good. What they really mean when they're talking about letting it run hot, they're talking about we can have more inflation. That for some reason now, the economy can operate with higher inflation and not overheat. So there's no reason to fight the inflation. This is an excuse for not raising rates. They're already trying to backpedal on raising rates because they kept saying, well, you know, we're trying to get inflation to our 2% target. But what Janet Yellen is talking about this letting the economy run hot, it's like, well, even if we get to 2%, we don't have to tap on the brakes because we can let inflation be higher and it's still going to help the economy as if inflation doesn't need to be stamped out for its own sake. Like she's saying, well, the only reason we don't want to have inflation is because if it's too much, then it could hurt the economy. What about just hurting the average guy who has to pay higher prices? Or what about just hurting a guy who's living on fixed income? Somebody who's got an annuity or a pension or something like that. You know, what about just inflation, rising prices or rising cost of living is bad news in and of itself? No, apparently it's only bad if it hurts economic growth, but it does hurt economic growth in that, the policies that the Fed is pursuing now that are designed to create inflation are hurting economic growth. They're undermining economic growth. Instead, they're taking resources out of the real economy and misdirecting them into the bubble economy, into the financial economy. But the markets should have looked at this and read between the lines that it doesn't matter if these guys are talking about rate hikes or whether or not they're possible or probable or, or, or whether or not they are appropriate. None of that matters. It's all about political expedience. It's all about what are they going to do? And what, they're going to keep rates down at where they are. And even if they raise them one more time, one more time in December, that's got to be it. That's it. The gun is empty. They're out of ammo here. They're not going to be able to get a third rate hike in. You know, second time is going to be it. If they even can get that one done. If they could even get that one done, because then if they raise rates in December, you know, then they're going to have a new president and they're not going to raise rates as soon as the new president is sworn in. I mean, certainly not if it's Hillary Clinton, um, they're going to have to be doing something to try to, you know, stimulate this phony economy back into some kind of uh, trumped up recovery. But it isn't going to work. I mean, we're going to overdose on this stimulus. But people are ignoring all this stuff. The markets are still fixated on all this rate hike talk by these supposed hawks. I mean, you know, you're talking about raising interest rates for uh, the second time of the Obama administration. They raised them once last year. Now you have people talking about, well, it might be appropriate to raise them up another quarter point to a half a percent. 
to one half of the emergency rate that Greenspan brought it down to at 1%. And I remember thinking that was crazy that they had rates at 1%, yet these guys are supposedly hawks, right? That's how low the bar has been lowered when it comes to what qualifies you as a hawk these days. But everybody is ignoring all the bad economic data. They're ignoring some of these uh, comments that are being made that certainly suggest that though the Fed might be talking about rate hikes, it's really the furthest thing from their mind. And though they may be talking about an inflation target, they don't really care where inflation goes because they're not going to do anything to bring it back down. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.